Hey folks, I've got an update for you today. So as many of you know, in late 2023, Stoplight uh, was uh, involved in a merger with SmartBear. And essentially our path forward is going to be looking at how Swagger Hub and Stoplight, kind of the best two parts of those platforms come together. And we're hot and heavy in the process of starting to figure that out. With that in mind, with so many other things to go do, uh, we've thought it best to put the API Intersection podcast on hold indefinitely. It's been an incredible three years learning from all of you on you know what's what works at any scale, right? Uh, how do we build API programs successfully? Kind of what's the cutting edge? Uh, what's the best practice? And uh, we really appreciate all of your support. And uh, you know we'll still look forward to connecting with folks in the community. And we'll see what the future brings and maybe bringing the show back. So thanks as always. It accounts for a majority of it in the sense of, you know, administering care and all the kind of workflows that you have to support from a CMS perspective or the integrations you have with the providers and payers. It does not support, however, kind of the rest of the business. So how do you, how do you actually manage, you know, a lot of, a lot of your retail workflows and internal processes and whatnot. So it does make it easier for us to share externally. And as we integrate with others in the kind of broader healthcare ecosystem, having those standards in place is, is definitely helpful that the side of that however is it takes a lot for some of these teams to actually get to that point i'm jason Harmon, and this is api intersection where you'll get insights from experienced api practitioners to learn best practices on things like api design governance identity auth versioning and more Welcome back to API Intersection. As always, I'm your host, uh, Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight. Uh, so today I'm uh, pretty uh, pretty stoked to finally make a connection that's been kind of pending for about six months. Uh, some folks that I met at a conference, uh, Brian Thomas and Panit Kumar from hum uh, Humana, uh, just by chance after giving a talk, came by, said hi, and uh, turns out they're doing some really interesting stuff with an API program there. So Brian and Panit, thank you for, thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, sometimes we have brands on here where it's like, tell us what you do and explain it. I, I think we all kind of know roughly what Humana does, but uh, I guess it'd be interesting to hear from you too, kind of uh, what y'all are doing there. And, and Humana is a huge place. So perhaps how you kind of fit into that picture um, regarding APIs. So uh, I, this is always fun with two people. We're just going to go with whoever feels uh, punchy and wants to talk. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Y'all do your thing. Absolutely. And and we work so closely in, in the office that we play off of each other uh, the whole time anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah, so again, I'm, I'm Brian Thomas, Director of Product for our Enterprise uh, API and Integration teams here at Humana. Specifically, you know, we're, we sit within the Enterprise function in general, uh, kind of a, a strong partner with Enterprise Architecture. So from, from that perspective, we, you know, Humana, Humana obviously has a lot of different um, legal entities uh, under its umbrella. Uh, you have Humana, but you also have Spinnerwell. From our perspective, we're we're within the Humana side, or the the insurance side. Humana has a large footprint in in Medicare, Medicare Advantage specifically, but also has many other you know, products and services that they offer uh, on top of that. But kind of the the majority is is Medicare Advantage, pharmacy, 
uh, and uh, Medicare, so our Medicaid. So with that, we we sit again within the enterprise function. We we kind of oversee a lot of the the integration technologies, uh, practices, patterns. Uh, we uh, kind of uh, advise and and understand what's kind of going on with any new API development, service development across Humana. So uh, Humana or Panit can speak a little bit more from from his perspective as well. Thank you, Brian. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Puneet Kumar. Uh, I'm a I'm a director working for Humana in enterprise API and integration team. Um, my team is particularly responsible for um, architecture standards and governance. Uh, we help application teams in building uh, resilient, scalable, standards-based APIs. So we to put it into different words, we we accelerate their uh, standards-based API journey. Uh, we we are think of us as an advocate uh, for for building consumption-oriented enterprise uh, reusable APIs, uh, which could be reused across the organization. So we advise uh, we advise application teams in kind of uh, in throughout the API journey on how to kind of design APIs, how to build APIs and how to do the um, operations as well. So in terms of kind of the scope of what we're talking about today, I guess, um, you know, APIs means a lot of things these days. Uh, so it sounds like the internal component is a big one. I would sort of presume that there's a, probably a lot of partners at play uh, in integrating with these things. And I guess, finally, are there any sort of like public facing things that are generally consumed? Yeah, so I'd, that kind of goes into my area specifically around our enterprise kind of API catalog, as well as our developer experiences uh, developer portal. Um, but from that perspective, you have internally you know, a, a lot of our effort, time and energy goes internal, uh, focused around whether they be our, our channels that are just internal channels like uh, web websites, uh, you know, mobile apps, others, or if it's, you know, direct integration with some of our providers and, and other payers as part of, you know, CMS uh, advises or directs a lot of the, the interoperability standards around patient access API, provider director API, and some of the, the uh, uh, consumer fake spacing. Ultimately, the, the consumer is in charge of their data, and if they're consenting to go and, and share that data with another payer provider, you know, we have to be able to allow that and, and be able to support that. So, from that perspective, we have today we have kind of two different developer portals, one external facing that really supports a lot of B2B, B2C. Uh, and then we also have an internal portal um, that, that supports all of our internal, um, whether they be you know, the, the enterprise APIs that we help uh, design and, and direct or channel APIs, domain APIs. Uh, so you're all it's all kind of visible in, in one ecosystem is what we're what we're shooting towards. So with that. Yeah. So as you could imagine, with as large as, uh, as Humana is, pretty much any type of consumer you could you could think of is somewhere in our ecosystem, and we have to be able to support them in a kind of a standardized uh, way. So, speaking of standards, um, I, I haven't done much with it myself, but I've seen a lot of the last few years with the the Fire standard FHIR. Is is that uh, when you you guys talk about standardizing? I have to assume some of that's kind of proprietary, but are there sort of industry API standards for healthcare that y'all are involved in as well? Yeah, so they, they've been around for quite some time. Uh, Fire is kind of the latest uh, version, and it accounts for a majority of it in the sense of 
you know, administering care and all the kind of workflows that you have to support from a CMS perspective or the integrations you have with the providers and payers. It, it does not support, however, kind of the rest of the business. So how do you, how do you actually manage, you know, a lot of, a lot of your retail workflows and internal processes and whatnot. So it does make it easier for us to share externally. And as we integrate with others in the kind of broader healthcare ecosystem, having those standards in place is, is definitely helpful that the side of that, however, is it takes a lot for some of these teams to actually get to that point and being able to understand how, how do you actually even create some of these APIs to be able to surface this information, let alone have it in a, a format that's actually highly kind of predictable or reusable like the fire structure. So, so I, I have to assume, uh, and you had kind of mentioned before, it's a very large organization with a whole lot going on in terms of APIs. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me, of course, is how do you manage a, a catalog like that? Um, you know, that's there's a lot going on, and I have to imagine a lot of different divisions involved, not to mention partners and all that. Um, how do you guys kind of approach building and maintaining a catalog of that size? And uh, call me a junkie here, but I, I love hearing the number and scale of things. So, uh, but I don't want to get y'all in trouble either. So, uh, feel free to obfuscate if you like. No, uh, I think the the biggest thing with this is number number one understanding kind of the landscape, what what actually exists out there, what are the different you know, integrations in place, whether they whether they be you know RESTful APIs or you know, a lot a lot in the industry still does F SFTP and we don't actually even use uh, APIs to to exchange this data. So they're doing bulk files and and whatnot. So with that, the the very first step is just to understand what what all exists and you know, what you may or may not want to catalog within within an enterprise API catalog. Also, some of that is is what is currently behind, you know, some form of a API management tool or a gateway rather than just exposed directly. So that that was a a large portion of the, the beginning of, of our work is to just discover what's out there and have a better understanding of the landscape. Now that quickly evolved into what are the different categories or the different uh, I think categories is probably the right, the right term for this to, to make it as simple as possible. But what are the different categories in which you would organize those APIs to make sense to, you know, any anyone that's looking at this catalog? So from that perspective, you know, we have, oh, in the past, probably over 3,000, uh, I'll call them classic APIs or legacy APIs um that we we needed to go through and kind of determine what what the current state of those are, what's the value that they bring the organization. And kind of help make sense of that, so we can actually make a catalog and and appropriately catalog them. So with that, we we do have multiple categories within the enterprise API catalog, and it's also those APIs are different level of maturity uh, as well. So uh, that goes to the kind of tax taxonomy classification and how we how we organize those within there, but. The thing that we we've learned through all of this, because there's so much change in the landscape as well, a lot of people don't understand from an API perspective the opportunity you have to reuse those assets or build them for scale, and so that's why Humana has three thousand plus uh, services or, or APIs is because you typically have an API or service built for a single consumer or very very specific to the needs of that individual rather than built for something that multiple users can use and or filter based on what they need. Um, so that was the the very first understanding is what all was there. Then we needed to go and figure out what would be valuable within a catalog. And that's what we've been working on for the last year and a half is 
is to really distill that into something that is uh, easily uh, digestible for for an end consumer looking to figure out what what is available to them and what what they can gain access to. So uh, it, it's certainly you know there are different ways to go about that kind of categorizing. Some people call these like capability sets or whatever. You know, there's different labels. Um, there's uh, certainly an architectural view to these things, right? Is like if you're looking internally at the landscape of APIs, how do these sort of Lego blocks plug together? Um, but then it's always arguable that, well, you know, these things should be in customer language and understandable. Like, what are the kind of considerations you guys are putting into this from sort of the product and engineering side to to figure out how to organize that? And And I love, by the way, that you called out that it's almost always a greenfield. No one starts from scratch these days, right? There's always legacy you're carrying around uh, that has to fit in those boxes too. So I'll, I'll start to answer that and then I'm going to pass it over to Vineet to kind of uh, really provide a lot more context. But the, the one thing that we quickly realized is, is through all the APIs that are APIs and or services that exist at Humana is they, they really lack the, like, the interaction from a consumer perspective, what are they solving or what are they actually supporting? And due to that, you have things that are providing way more information or data than you would actually want, or you're having to stitch together several different endpoints to actually realize the value and make it, it makes it overcomplicated. So from our perspective and, and what you know, we've, we've been really driving is that consumer-oriented view or to really, uh, as you go from like a, design first approach how do you make it designed to solving that interaction or the need for the the consumer rather than how we manage that internally or how that data is exposed from our systems and that fundamentally challenges how humana or healthcare in general has looked at providing data or, or integration or any you know interoperability is is you're you're going from kind of that outside in view con consumer view in and it, it poses a real challenge in regard to how how these teams can support. And there's a lot of education and training and whatnot that has to come from that. But the value in that is having that agreement and that design, and you can drive alignment to that before teams even go and start building these these components is is critical. So you're not wasting time or you're not wasting energy on going and building something where no one's going to use it or you're not going, you're not getting adoption. Now, how that trickles down into, you know, some of Puneet's uh, space with the architecture is kind of standards of governance. I'll let him speak to that. So Puneet, uh, since, since Brian described to us that sometimes the APIs are too small, sometimes they're too big, you're going to give us the Goldilocks principle and tell us how big a microservice should be, right? <laughs> well, you know that there's no uh, right answer to that. Um, but in, in a large enterprise, right? Like I, I fully agree that the API should be, you know, consumption oriented, right? Like now there are, uh, people use different terms, you know, some people call it outside in approach or consumption oriented or consumer oriented APIs. I think they're one, one and the same thing, right? Now you will hear a lot of people in the industry, you know, saying, uh, you know, API exposes this data or that data, right? When, when somebody uses this term, I, I, I feel that uh, that they are building inside out, not really outside in, right? Uh, in that case, what happens is if you're building inside out, your APIs become too chatty. Uh, they are very tightly coupled with your kind of domain complexities, right? So that's something you want to avoid to your consumers, right? So that's why I think out in uh, you know outside in strategy 
generally would apply to any product in my opinion right like how does that work how what is out, outside in strategy you know you basically observe your market you understand your consumers and then you design your product based on your consumer needs so if you think of your api as a product then that's how you should design it right uh, there should be focused on the consumption now there your your apis could be consumed by you know other systems they could be consumed by web applications mobile applications external partners right so you have to design your api in such a way uh, so that it could be reused by all of these different consumers of the api now i think you brought up a good point you know the granularity of the api is uh, is a key uh, key thing to kind of account for when you're designing an API. You know, it shouldn't be, uh, to my opinion, uh, you know, it, it depends on use case to use case, right? It depends on, you know, what kind of organization you are working for. It kind of de also depends on, you know, the frequency of changes uh, to the API. So I would, I would say, you know, uh, you have to kind of, meet in the middle they shouldn't be you know too small or too big right like and, you know, the frequency of changes is a very key factor in my opinion and uh and there are a lot of kind of complexities to this right like so when you are when you're using an api management tool right you need to kind of proxy your api in in the api management right so so granularity comes into the picture you know uh, there as well because uh do you wanna make the changes every time you know so for example if you have like multiple microservices uh within a multiple endpoints within a single api specification does it make sense to kind of club them all together within a single specification because every time you kind of change a single endpoint you might want to you know you will ha you have to kind of update your version and then you have to update your proxy as well so do you want to do that or to what level you want to do that so these are some of the factors these are some of the things to kind of keep in mind you know to decide the right granularity of the api yeah um i mean i'll say uh from talking to folks like yourselves for three years now i think you know this is the way forward right um be customer centric uh make things reusable right like these are in some ways, kind of almost naively simple concepts, uh, putting it into practice is a different story, of course. Um, actually, this year, I've uh, the, the sort of talk that I've been iterating on at a few different conferences is, is API as a product. And really, the message is pretty simple, is it's just another product. Yeah. Like, manage it like a product. That's all you have to do. And to your point, like, you know, design it for the consumers that are going to use it in the end. Uh, use that language, right? Like, some of these things are kind of simple, but I guess uh, my experience has been that simple as it sounds, getting a bunch of people across a big enterprise to agree on what these things should look like is another story. So how do you guys approach sort of, you know, workshopping that or, or organizing these things and driving that alignment? Yes, I think I think one one key thing to note, which is what you're kind of going towards, but one one thing to note is, you know, we can have the best technologies, we could have the the smartest people on the team supporting these you know, supporting these efforts. At the end of the day, it it truly is a, a culture thing. So it's understanding of how you're actually driven or driving towards solving a, a challenge or the problem that you have from a consumer perspective, and and being able to rally the team and get uh, kind of an energy behind solving that is very, very challenging sometimes because you have a lot of different people that have to come into kind of 
the the conversation, whether they be you know, those that manage the domain or the the data themselves and and the systems and the infrastructure, or you have you know those that are actually made, uh, subscribing to it or or consuming to it from a a you know, channel perspective, whether they be you know, web apps or or you know, external or whatever it, it may be. But there's a lot of differing opinions and different levels of maturity and understanding of of the technology. And so, you know, I'd, at the end of the day, I think you know tools do make it easier, and you know processes and patterns do make it easier. But it really is how do you how do you build that trust and that respect across the different areas to actually you know, be very transparent in the problems or, or, you know, challenges that you're seeing and working towards, you know, an end goal or a, a, a you know, end result and getting that value, you know, over the, over the past year and a half or, or two years specifically with Humana, but in, in prior to that as well, you know, I think the most important thing you can do is focus on building those relationships and building the respect around those that, that are going to be so critical to that, that program or that effort. If you don't invest enough time there, you're, you 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 could do the most amazing work and you won't get value out of it because it wasn't either it was either not designed correctly or it wasn't you know ad adopted at the the scalar uh, level that you would expect, um, and that truly comes down to the buy-in and the support that you get from those that that you need uh, to be able to to get that uh, moving forward. So. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's like on one side, my experience has been real simple is if you get a group of folks talking about the customer, you can achieve a lot of things. If to your earlier point, you know, you do the, the Conway maneuver wrong here and get people talking about the systems they own, you're in trouble and you'll never get out of it. Um, yeah. Which uh, it, it's kind of like you, you got to give the domain owner their ownership. But that I think brings us to the question of like, all right, if we're unifying things and all these things are going to fit together and kind of look, feel, smell like one platform, that implies that that they're designed in some similar manner and there's some standard applied to that. And as hard as it is to get people to agree on what to call things and categorize them, uh, agreeing on what the technical standard should be uh, is perhaps even more challenging. So I'd, I'd love to hear how you guys approach that. I mean, uh, I would kind of like to kind of touch base on standards a little bit. Um you know, uh, to answer your question. Um, I think to to explain standards a little bit from my from my perspective, I think we have to kind of uh, understand APIs a little bit, right? I think um, everybody understands that API API is a contract between two systems, right? Uh, using which they talk to each other. It's an, it's an abstraction between uh, the API producer and the consumer, right? Now in an organization, there could be various systems, right? Like I'll give you an example of an, let's take an example of a hospitality company, right? So you would have a reservation system, you would have a member system, you know, a, a property management system, right? Now, if every system is going to offer APIs, they have to look consistent in order for the API consumers to understand those APIs, right? Now, this is where, you know, you could say open API comes into picture. It it provides a way, it provides you a way to structure, structure your APIs. It 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 provides a framework uh, to standardize your APIs. Now, I believe the need for standardization in a in a large organization kind of goes beyond that, right? You know, you have to kind of establish, you know, what sort of naming conventions the teams have to use. 
you know what uh, you know what is my versioning strategy what is my exception handling structure going to look like what is my logging format what is my caching strategy um you know there are uh, i believe there should be some guidelines on the status codes usage as well because there's there's a lot of confusion confusion between the people right like uh, especially amongst developers right like you know i'll give you an example a lot of people get 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 confused between where do i use 400 status code versus 422 right so you would see a lot of kind of uh, implementations which are not correct right based on the standard so I believe that there should be properly documented standards for each organization, right? Now I can provide the provide the standards, you know, as let's say if I am, you know, if I am kind of leading the API program, right? So I can provide the standards to the organization, but I can't I can't expect the organization to change overnight, right? uh i mean it's it's unfair for a very large organization to kind of adopt to new standards you know uh, overnight or within a few weeks or or even in a, within a couple of months right so i think what we have to do is uh, is to do continuous uh, education right like raise more awareness through you know um, through office hours through multiple sessions road shows across the organization and find some early adopters right find early adopters uh work with them build some standard based apis prove the value and then uh that would help increase the adoption of standard based apis and i think i mean just to add to that i think that's why we continue to see like developer relations come up time and time again like how how do you actually support them and you're listening and getting that feedback and and also helping to use that as an opportunity to educate and to help, you know, uh, get a little bit closer aligned and uh, to the direction that you're you're wanting to head or needing to head from a, a standards perspective. But the the other side of that is, and I always level this up internally when I have conversations with others that that may be you know technical or or not technical, but how do you how do you suppose a group of ten people if they all speak a different language come together and have a conversation like? It's it's near impossible, or you're going to have to have a really complex you know, translator there that can understand ten different languages to try to distill that into something that makes sense and and have that conversation. But it takes a tremendous amount of time if you were to have to have a translator do that every time, rather than us all using you know the same, all speaking the same language in some form or fashion, and and have more you know standardized interactions. So, yeah, I think I think that's the biggest. Biggest challenge with Humana is every one of those APIs or our, our services are built a little bit different. And so you can't, you know, anytime you're trying to, to subscribe or consume to one of those, it's a whole new uh, uh, effort to understand what it means, what they mean by each field or which, you know, what data is, ex is exposing and the format of that data. And it, it takes a considerable amount of time for our developers rather than just to be able to easily discover and already have some foundation of what to expect and, and and consume or subscribe to that API. So so Panit, you make error handling sound hard. The server does 500s by default if you don't do anything. So that's the cheat code, listeners. It just, you know, it's <laughs> 500s for everything. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, so if you're working in, in an organization, you know, where, you know, resiliency is very, very important, right? I mean, uh, we take it for granted, you know, 
you know, some of these APIs are, you know, revenue impacting APIs, right? So we need to be able to kind of handle the exceptions correctly, return the right status codes because your consumers of the APIs are behaving on based on that, right? Oh, so I, I mean, I'll, I'll go simpler than that. What's the first thing that most developers encounter when they try an API? An error. Yeah. <laughs> so put your best foot forward do good air good air handling and good messaging and they'll have a good experience and get integrated faster so, yeah you know sometimes when we talk about this stuff with program leaders i feel like you know it's a little like fluffy overly positive kumbaya that like well we'll just have the right discussion and it'll all work out but you know i always kind of have to push like is any of this enforced or is this all just an influential suggestion uh, and I guess, is there sort of process to review these things to ensure that it, you know, complies with whatever the requirements are? The, you know, uh, every organization, in my opinion, you know, should invest in a, in an API governance program, right? Governance in, in, you know, it's a way of ensuring that your standards are being followed right now. And also governance should apply throughout the life cycle of the API. Now, organization take different approaches to governance, right? And it also depends on, you know, to what extent you want to apply governance. Do you want to do it through manual reviews or only limited to API design? Um, some organizations, you know, like to kind of go all in, invest into kind of building automations. Um, my personal opinion, right? Uh, and it, it also depends on kind of funding and leadership alignment you have uh, to kind of implement a, a governance program. But, you know, with, with, uh, with the evolution of so many tooling around uh, API governance, right? I think we should definitely, an organization should definitely invest into you know, automating some of these capabilities so that you're actually accelerating the API journey, not really becoming a bottleneck, right? I mean, I have personally worked in various different organizations. I've been kind of in the API space for almost a decade now. Um, so you could have, you know, a, a, a review board or, or a governance board, you know, which would take weeks or days to kind of review stuff, right? Then you would lose the credibility with application teams, right? Like, because they're going to reach out to their leader and say, you know, you know, we have these new standards and governance, you know, which is taking a lot more time than it used to, right? So you're going to get pushed back on your strategy. So invest into automation so that you can provide real-time or near real-time real feedback to the application teams. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, if somebody is designing an API, right? You might want to think about, you know, implementing that linting capability, use, use Spectral or whatever tool you like, right? Invest into that automation so that you, you get the real-time feedback on your design, you know, so that somebody's not waiting for an email response or, or a Jira ticket for days to kind of get feedback on the specification, right? Like, so you're providing that real-time feedback, and then somebody's fixing it and, you know, it's, so there's no manual intervention, right? And I think, I mean, uh, that's also the term of like invisible governance. You're, you're working towards, you know, ultimately making it easier to where they want to adopt or use that, you know, your tooling and technologies or developer portal is because they, they have that understanding that that's baked in and they're going to be supported and it's actually faster, easier for them to get some of those things done rather than the way that they were doing it with manual, you know, review boards or committees or whatever it may be. Um, I think that, that 
it's a very important and critical thing, specifically in something heavily regulated like you know healthcare or financial industry or you know anything that you're dealing with a lot of PHI, PII, PFI uh, uh, in those interactions. So uh, obviously, there's still a lot of manual overhead for valid reason on specific things and the sensitivity of of information that's being shared and making sure contracts and agreements are in place that they they actually can have access to that. But a lot of those things, they still follow a very consistent pattern. And you know, as long as we're we're defining what those patterns are, and if you're following that pattern and you're this type of user, you know, it makes it easier for them at the end of the day. I, I won't also, I, you know, I, I think it's critical to also note in the beginning when those don't exist, it's a, it's a, big challenge. Uh, specifically when you know you're trying to drive this this notion or this strategy to make it easier. And you're actually not when you're in the beginning, you're actually making it harder while you're learning, you know, what needs to be done. And there's a lot of manual intervention, uh, specifically, you know, from a standards and governance perspective, also from, you know, API as a product and design perspective, because you're learning like the intricacies of these things and how do you make that real and how do you actually automate some of those pieces like it, it, it's more high touch. It slows things down in, in the beginning, but the the intent, and this is where that trust and that relationship goes, is they have to understand the vision and where you're headed and what's that long term strategy. So they they're more bought in, and they're not just pushing back and saying like this is this is overkill. This is causing too much work for us, and we're just going to go back to what we we're doing. That it's it's definitely a juggling act, and you have to make sure you're actually showing some of that progress and getting some of the, making it easier for them. Uh, while you're still delivering value and and supporting those teams uh, in in what they need to be doing, so uh, it's a it's it's a huge challenge, especially in a, a you know complex organization. So, yeah, it's it's certainly a story we hear a lot from uh, kind of you know stoplight community is like you kind of get the mandate, very little funding, very little money, very little very few people because frankly there's very few people who have the expertise to lead these things, right? It's uh, an incredible talent shortage. And you know, Panita, I too have uh, gone through all those kind of manual review things uh, and and slogged through having a months long backlog, watching people disengage from the process and come after you with port torches and pitchforks like I'd never want to do it again. Brian, to your point, where do you start? Just everyone starts manual, right? Uh, and so my, my goal is always that you can get things to be, you know, 80% plus of the basic automatable rules are taken care of so that your review can be really a discussion about kind of relevance and meaning. Why does this thing exist? Who is it for? You know, let's let that inform those naming discussions and that sort of stuff. But let's not talk about whether it should be underscores or dashes or, you know, that stuff. Let's talk about that once, write a rule and put it out of our minds and trust that it's taken care of. And I love, too, that you made the point that when you start the API program, I, I think a lot of business leaders get caught up in the idea that, well, APIs are going to open us up to be more innovative and move faster. And that might be true, but setting the expectation that that's probably true in three to five years in a lot of cases in a large organization. And the reality is you got to slow down to speed up, right? Uh, and I think folks get caught up and don't explain that and find themselves 18, 18 to 24 months in getting, you know, kind of clipped on budget because it's like, well, you didn't prove the value yet. You actually slowed things down. People hate you. <laughs> Uh, so it's a it's a tough message to build, and it's a tough kind of you've got to have long term vision support. 
uh, which you called out, Brian. That's great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, an, another big piece of that is, especially from a business perspective, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're making it easier to deliver business value and to solve the needs for the consumers, but at not at the cost of in, incurring substantial amount of operational costs along the way. And that's, you know, when you're not making things easily discoverable, highly reusable or scalable, you know, following a consistency or, or supporting you know, standards, you, you again are creating these very specific point to point interactions, tightly coupled interactions that take a substantial amount of subject matter expertise to even know what's done there and what they're doing. But you, you know, any new consumer or, or use case that comes forward, you build another one and you keep stacking those on top of each other. You, you incur a substantial amount of organizational costs or operational costs. And that also is what business cares about, which is like, okay, great. We're investing all this time and money and energy to build these APIs, but we're seeing that it's really expensive and it's not actually you know, solving or getting the return on investment. That the key, key piece of that is that they need to be designed highly kind of reusable, scalable, and meet the needs of that consumer or that um, uh, use case without being like so tightly coupled or overly specific for that individual. And that again is a is a challenge, but also at the end of the day, you're you're actually saving a substantial amount of cost. Those teams don't have to go and build a new API every time that they're trying to deliver a use case and and reuse something that's already there. So they they're much quicker, they're much faster when they need to change something for you know a, a website or you know, interact or ex exchange some information with a provider or payer if something's already there and they don't have to go rebuild it. Um, so a lot of our time is just providing visibility or or insight around the operational costs that these teams are incurring as well, uh, or kind of total cost of ownership over a period of time. So. Yeah, we have to remind ourselves sometimes that what we're talking about is a, a, an emerging discipline of design, right? How to design a platform. And it's really not even APIs, it's how to design a whole platform. And uh, like any designer, it's a, it's a thankless job sometimes because the question of, is it good? It's kind of subjective. Uh, you know, so you're always improving, you're always iterating. Um, and it's pretty rare that it's quite recognized for the total value it's bringing uh, and hard to attribute how much better it is, right? So it's design and design is messy and hard and it's about people. So uh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's just getting, uh, as you guys said earlier, multiple times, like don't boil the ocean, you know, start small, iterate, learn at each step. Um, that's, I think that's the part where folks get it wrong and don't don't spend a year or two talking about standards, go build something, have crappy standards and make them better after your first launch, right? Awesome. So, well, it sounds like y'all are on the right track. Uh, certainly lots of familiar stories here from the, the kinds of things we hear from successful programs. Um, I guess any sort of closing thoughts or things that you wanted to share that we missed? The only thing I would say is that um, like if you are, you know, this is this is probably a message to all leaders out there, right? Like, so if you really want to achieve digital transformation in your organization, then my opinion, the APIs should be at the center of it, right? So you need to kind of, you know, invest into that API program, make sure it has the right leadership support, make sure it has the right funding, 
uh, and you know invest into and start small right as jason and brian you said like start small um, start with some sort of standards you know find some early adopters learn through it iterate over it right uh, roll out multiple versions of standards right like eventually your standards and governance program would would become mature as you go through your journey right and uh, invest into automations right like don't have uh, a lot of kind of manual uh, governance checkpoints right invest into automations there would there would still be manual reviews which need to be which need to happen but i think we can minimize that by by building a lot of automations uh, throughout the life cycle and think about governance throughout the life cycle a lot of people assume that governance when it comes to apis is just the design governance to me i think we have to think about the overall life cycle starting from design to development to to the operation side of it right like how do you apply right security how do you ensure that your api is scalable uh, how do you ensure that your api is being monitored properly right uh, you want to ensure that your your api is you know, logging all the right information as well, right? So think about the entire life cycle and how you can apply the standards and governance throughout the life cycle is the key to a successful governance program, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I think that ties back to also taking API aside, just any general product management, product development, what are the core things that you care about? And it goes back to life cycle management. You're you're looking at the total picture and your your actual you know, managing that API as a product, and it goes through different stages of of you know product product stages. Whether they it's it's a new product market, it's an existing product, or you're looking to sunset or uh, or uh, uh, depreciate or uh, depreciate it. But at the end of the day, that full having a view and and managing the full life cycle is is absolutely critical. Um, otherwise, there's there's a missed opportunity there for sure. Well said. Feels like a good spot to wrap. Uh, thanks again, gentlemen, for joining and uh, sharing your, you know, kind of the story of your journey here. And uh, certainly wish you the best of luck going forward. Sounds good. Thanks, Chase. Thank you so much.